Thrones on the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Hey, it's Chase from On the Table Gaming, and if you've been a longtime listener, you'll remember some of our past conversations with A Song of Ice and Fire legends, folks like Don Shelke, the original A Song of Ice and Fire U.S. champion, with moves like the Shelke Shuffle being named after him, and eventually having that to be a, a ratted out, as well as folks like Brett Lamfer, an outspoken member of the online community. Well, today we're thrilled to be speaking with the next in these line of storied champions. And we're joined by Luke Hartman, the 2022 U.S. national champion for A Song of Ice and Fire. Luke, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, Chase. First off, you know, congratulations on your success at, at Gen Con. You know, how does it feel, you know, now being on the other side of the event, maybe a week or so out from it? It's still surreal. I mean, <laughs> I, I've been playing these games since, you know, I was 12 years old. Uh, I came into Warhammer Fantasy, and it's been 20 years now of playing tabletop miniatures and painting. And I tell you, I've, I've played in a lot of tournaments, but I've never won uh, a large event like this event at Gen Con. So this was... This is the first any sort of grand tournament win for me. And, and it's still a shock. And, and, you know, I tell you, it makes me feel like those 20 years of trying is, is finally validated. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to find a new goal. <laughs> uh, well, we'll get to that, some future goals. I'm assuming right now you're talking to me from like a, an Iron Throne, right? Is that has the <laughs> house been remodded at all or no? No, so I did I did manage to uh, snag a banner of, uh, from the Gen Con event. Uh, oh, Rob. sweet. Yeah, it's great. My wife hates it. <laughs> <laughs> it's massive. Oh, man. All right. I, I have to I have to dig deeper on that. There. Mm -hmm. What's your wife's take been on this? Does she like kind of get it or is it, you know, is she into wargaming as well? Or I tell you, you know, she's known about it for a long time. And when I first <laughs> met her on our first date, I took her to the trunk of my car, opened it up, and I showed her my my miniatures. And I was like, "Look, this is this is a big part of my life. If this is a no go for you, let me know now, because this is like this is a, as much a part of me as you know my right arm." And she was like, "Wait a minute, I know what this is. This is Warhammer. My brothers actually play this." And I, you know, I was like, "Oh my god, marry me, marry me now." Uh, <laughs> So she's known about this for a long time. Uh, and it's just kind of a, you know, well, that's my husband's hobby. That's his thing that he does. You know, I, I never really thought that she cared as much as she did as when she told me when I called her to tell her, you know, that I, I had won. And, you know, I'm just almost out of breath, you know, really trying to let it sink in. I called her. She said, oh, yeah, I know. I was wondering when you were going to call me. We've been watching the whole time. Oh, my gosh. That's so wonderful. I know. And shout I... out to <laughs> Stefan Newhouse and Bob uh, from Sunday Slaughter for streaming and commentating uh, and letting me be on stream for, for four games because I had no idea, but my, my family back home was watching it. And that means so much to me. Oh, that is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, got to love uh, free folk, Bob. I'm calling him now. Cause you know, yeah. you're going to move away from Lord commander here. <laughs> so, well, let's, let's, uh, let's go back a little bit more. So you kind of told us a little bit, you've been, you've been wargaming for, you know, about 20 years. It sounds like in addition to playing, you know, we had a Patreon supporter there, Calvin, who was taking pictures of the event. And actually in the days leading up, he sent some pictures of your miniatures. 
And I was just blown away. I mean, in addition to being just very well painted, you also had some really cool conversions and additional flourishes on your miniatures that really set them apart. Was there any particular unit or miniature in your force whose visuals you were like most proud of? Oh, definitely my my Brendan Tully uh, model, which, you know, isn't even in either of my lists, but I brought him along because for that exact reason, he's my favorite model. He's He's featuring, you know, with an axe kind of cutting down and cutting through the neck of a Lannister guardsman who, uh, you know, when as I was making the model, looked a little bit like uh, my friend Carlo uh, from the Song of Ice and Fire stats. So we nicknamed him Carlo. And, and since <laughs> Carlo, uh, since he was in town for, for Gen Con, uh, I had him go ahead and sign the bottom of the base because, I mean, it, it was just perfect. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely not the only one who's doing conversions or who's out there really trying to you know, showcase to the community what type of creativity you can have with these miniatures. But it was great to be able to put that on display. And, you know, normally going into a tournament, in my back pocket, I'm kind of hoping, well, if I don't do well on the table, maybe maybe I'll come away with the best painted. <laughs> there was no best painted at Gen Con. So, you know, my my ships were burnt. I, I had There was only one choice, right? I had to and that's why you're like, you know, I guess instead I'll just win it now because yeah. that, that's what it took. Oh, all right. Yeah. Well, seeing your painting skills and you kind of demonstrating your playing skills. I mean, I really have to ask, is there anything you aren't good at? Like there has to be some sort of karmic balance here, right? Yeah, probably. Uh, if you if you ask my kids, it's my humor. Um, I'm just, <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I think I've gone on to full on dad mode these last, you know, 10 years. You so. Wear that badge of pride, sir, you know. <laughs> well, you. you know, Let's let's jump in and talk Gen Con. So, you know, had you been to Gen Con before? Yeah, it's been three years. Um, I didn't I didn't go through the virtual versions of Gen Con. And uh, last year uh, they announced, I, th I think it was three or four weeks out that they were going to do a national tournament. And to be honest, I was not comfortable enough with my Song of Ice and Fire play uh, mm -hmm. to go with, with kind of a short notice. So I didn't go last year, but I did certainly follow along. And uh, you know, congratulations to Brett. I know it's been over a year but you know he's he's won it i think the last three times so going into this year's gen con when i saw brett i knew i knew exactly you know who he was and i knew what this level of competition was going to be and i'm still shocked chase that that i <laughs> come away with it i mean well you just got to put that banner there and every morning you wake up you can look at it and be like oh yeah all right it, it wasn't a dream oh it's like i gotta have that daily reminder uh but it <laughs> But it's fantastic. And, and it, you know, kind of comes back to how I got into Song of Ice and Fire, um, if we want to talk about that for a little bit. Yeah. So I was introduced to this game from a friend of mine, Brandon McDowell, who went with me to this year's Gen Con. And he kind of showed me the game, not really knowing that I had played uh, tabletop war games before. And when I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, this looks, this reminds me so much of Warhammer Fantasy. We got to try it. And we played the Starks vs. Lannister starter box, and we didn't even know that the rules had changed. So we played with those original rule book that, you know, came in the box. This was at the beginning of, let's see, February of 2020. Yes, <laughs> it's been 18 months. So it, it was right as the 2021 season update. We get introduced into the game, and they're going through the Visions and the Flames. And actually, the first... Song of Ice and Fire content that I ever absorbed was on the table gaming. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was wonderful. Uh, so 
I'm listening to, you know, the interviews with Michael and Fabio and, and they're going through, you know, each week it's a, it's a new faction breakdown. And I'm like, oh, this is great. We're going to get, you know, every week the designers of the game are going to, you know, oh, you're going to give us their, uh, their take on the game. Little did I know that that was a, you know, kind of short burst of content that <laughs> was, was so much that it got me very, very interested in the game. And so we began with that 2021 update. Um, okay. so as soon as that launched, that was my first introduction to the game. Now, did you jump in with Starks then? I did. I did. Okay. And all I heard was, oh, you missed it. Starks used to be so good. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I, you know, surely they could be, you know, good again. And it took, it took a lot of time to kind of rediscover, I think, what, what, what is it that makes Starks, uh, different what is it that they specialize in what what makes them so unique on the table and i, I think over time i finally found that um, and it really took this 2021 season one update um, with the update to sworn swords and honor guard and aria sansa all the stark updates even the even mainly the two core cards the Winter's Might and the Northern Ferocity. Those updates, while they seem small in themselves, were very significant to me because what I saw was sort of this small window opening for Starks to have a very, very strong place um, against the top competitors uh, like Free Folk and Night's Watch and Targaryens and Lannisters. Starks have tools. And if, if you're able to use those tools on the table, you can kind of survive in a, in a meta that maybe usually leaves Starks in the dust. Jump into that. What do you, what do you see as being sort of the best and worst things about House Stark at this moment? So, so one of the best things about House Stark is uh, having access to abilities like Warcry and Hardened mm. um, that aren't tied to unique attachments, right? Like Free Folk, it's tied to Tormund. It's tied to 1-1 if you want to bring Warcry. Uh, for mm -hmm. Starks, being able to bring a unit like she bears you're not limited to a unique slot so you can bring more than one and i really feel like the two units of she bears is probably a minimum for me going forward in, in, in a competitive list because what starks lack from their less expensive units are keywords they don't have sundering they don't have vicious naturally they have a lot of crit blow crit blow on she bears crit blow on sword swords crit blow on honor guard and that critical blow synergizes well with their cards. So you've got Northern Ferocity and Winter's Might that give you Vicious and Sundering. And then you have She-Bears who, with Warcry, can put out a Vulnerable and a Panic Token. And now all of a sudden, your crit blow is the perfect tool to take advantage of Sundering, Vicious cards, and Vulnerable and Panic Tokens. And with an attachment like the Mormont Veteran, who is, is just incredible value, but even more important in a Stark army, where your units are getting better as they go down in ranks. They're actually improving stats. And the Mormont Veteran is another tool that you can use to improve your stats as you go down. So when you're out activated as a Stark player against a Free Folk, if they're going to be the first ones to hit you, that's actually in your benefit. Because as you take damage, you're going to get better. The Mormont Veteran is going to help you stick around and then help you leverage those improved stats at your last rank for longer. Um, and actually, the Mormont veteran can kind of be a gatekeeper, uh, especially against 
people who like to bring a lot of cheap units, a lot of four point mm -hmm. units, because they don't have a high attack value, uh, they're gonna have a hard time dealing enough hits to actually put damage through the hardened. Ah, so that makes sense. What do you think is like kind of the challenge for playing House Stark right now? I think the challenge um, is probably going into some of these matchups where you you really start to feel like you're at a disadvantage on the tactics board. Starks don't necessarily have the strongest NCUs, so I think one of the NCUs that you probably should be looking to bring is Peter Baelish. He gives you a tool that you wouldn't otherwise have, and I know <laughs> he's he's a great tool for any faction that can take him. You know, if you're not free folk, you should be considering Peter Baelish. But specifically for for Starks, I think when you run into other factions who can do panic that's not tied to an attack. Um, like Lannisters, mm. they can put you down to that last rank and then they can make you take panic tests, which is going to ignore that Mormont veteran. And if, and if they can really spike you with some panic damage or free folk with there's too many, um, that's a way to, to take out your last rank without even having to do any hits or any damage. Mm -hmm. I also think in list building that there's, there's probably a few standout commanders, um, namely Eddard Stark, Great John, Brendan Tully, his Outrider commander version. And then all the other commanders are, I, I think they're just lacking either a, a unit that they go in well, or their cards are not quite as universally effective as Great John, Eddard, and Brendan. That makes sense. Let's get to talking about the lists you brought. But before we jump into that, you know, when you're approaching list building, do you build for scenarios or do you look for key combinations or specific, like, you know, offensive dice thresholds you want to try and cross? You know, how do you build out when you when you sit down to think about list building? Oh, that's a great question, Chase. So the way I do it is I look at every faction that I'm going to be facing against, and including, mm, okay. including Starks. And... What, regardless of scenario, I know if I have at least five combat units on the table um, from my list, I can adjust how I play on the table to match the scenario. Where, where I would get concerned is in list building if I'm only ending up with four combat units. You just kind of end up with this numbers discrepancy with Starks that you can't really overcome. So I think five combat units is, is a minimum. And that seems to be where the Starks thrive, is in that five combat unit list. So with both of my lists bringing five combat units, I designed the list to face different opponents. And I look at what's doing well, what, what lists are performing well for mm -hmm. each faction. And I think, okay, how, what list am I going to play into that? So for my Eddard Stark list, which is Eddard Stark commander in Honor Guard, a unit of Tully Cavaliers with a Glory Seeker, a unit of Flayed Men with a Glory Seeker, a unit of Stormcrow Mercenaries with Rickon and Asha, and Shaggy Dog. And that combination of Stormcrow Mercenaries with Rickon and Asha and Shaggy Dog, that's an eight-point package for two activations. And that's about as cheap as Starks can get uh, for activations. We don't have any natural four-point units to select from, uh, so in order to increase your activation count, if you're going to bring expensive cavalry units, you can leverage Stormcrow Mercenaries' rule of adaptive to bring Rickon for free, who then brings Asha for free, who, and Rickon enables you to bring Shaggy Dog for three points. So that's your eight-point 
to activation package. Um, and then I have Peter Baelish and I have Catelyn Stark as my two NCUs. And I love having Peter in both of my lists, but I love him especially in a two NCU list because when you have two NCUs, you are saying to your opponent that there's always going to be a, the fifth tactic zone basically available to them if they have a third NCU. Mm-hmm. And what, what Peter allows you to do, Peter allows you to you know block one zone and, and obviously use the benefit of another. But when you're, it becomes even more important to do that when you're only bringing two NCUs because you're not going to be able to cover enough zones in time to stop your opponent from doing what they want to do or, more importantly, stop them from holding on to that last NCU and playing it on a zone uh, at the end of the round to play something like a surprise, you know, assault orders or oh. we do not so. <laughs> so... Uh, my list for Eddard is designed to go into Lannisters because Eddard gives a lot of morale resistance. His unit itself has Iron Resolve, and the Tully Cavaliers give Embolden, so plus one to morale. And then Rickon in the Stormcrow Mercenaries also improves their morale. And with Eddard's card, Northern Defiance, you can auto-pass a Panic Test within short range. So that really benefits um, playing against a morale army like Lannisters who are going to hit you with a lot of panic tests and a lot of Lannister units are that you see at competitive play are like crossbows they bring flayed men they bring knights of casterly rock so having cavalry to match their cavalry and cavalry to chase down their crossbowmen uh is also advantageous that makes sense and uh, that's a great explanation of your two ncus there and and that's the way i have found that to be most effective i tried sansa to recur uh, Eddard's cards. But for two NCUs, it's it's very difficult. It seems like whatever zone you're replacing with Sansa, is, is, unless it's Crown, it's probably not as good as the card you're grabbing back. Because mm. if you're covering, you know, let's say the maneuver zone to go and grab swift reposition, well, you could have just, <laughs> just had a normal maneuver. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't like Sansa in that spot, and Arya was a consideration, but Arya doesn't, she doesn't have the added benefit of blocking a zone like Peter does, right. and uh, she can only really benefit Eddard's unit and the Stormcrows, because the two Cav and Shaggy uh, can't use Arya tokens. So I settled on Catelyn and Peter for that list, and another opponent I play that list into is um, Baratheons, especially if they're bringing Melisandre and Jockin, because they're going to be doing, you know, unlimited range panic tests across the board. And so you're going to want that auto pass card from, or you're going to want to have, you know, emboldened from the Tully Cav uh, to try and not roll those casino dice and take panic damage on the way in. But what I really like that Eddard does is once you get in to the Baratheon units, you've got three units that have Rally Cry. So Eddard's, Eddard for his attachment, and then the two um, have units with their Glory Seekers. So they're spreading out healing back to each other. So as you're taking panic damage on the way in, when you finally get there, uh, hopefully you've mitigated some of that damage, and then you get there and you can heal it back up through attacking. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> and then I'd like to play that list into Targaryens, uh, especially if they're running Drogo, because it's got two Cav units that you can really try and shove into Drogo's unit and not worry so much about Expert Duelist. 
Mm -hmm. So while he may be able to do the one wound, he's not able to execute your attachments. And then you can have Eddard somewhere else on the other side of the board, you know, doing Eddard things with his honor guard and his fury for the fallen card. But I love playing that list versus the Great John list, which is all infantry with very important attachments like Mormont veterans and Great John himself. So you can just know if there's a if there's an expert duelist list you're going up against. Play play the cat list. Yep. yep, absolutely. And you know, being able to to have a list that plays into those types is is great. And the last matchup I play Eddard into is Greyjoys. So with Greyjoys, they have their pillage mechanic, but it's dependent on destroying enemy ranks. And so when mm -hmm. you're bringing three units with a three plus armor save. You don't have to worry so much about their archers. Uh, they're going to have a hard time getting damage through. And when you finally get into combat with them, if you're using your cavalry units, they're going to have a hard time uh, generating pillage tokens because it's going to have to take six wounds to take a rank off. And with the rally cries and you, you're healing it back up, um, they're going to get frustrated that they're not generating pillage like they normally would against infantry units. So you got yourself covered against, you know, four factions or, you know, specific styles of lists in four factions. That's a pretty, uh, actually, that's a pretty good base there. Yeah. And so the, the opposite side of that spectrum is the Great John list, which is uh, <clears throat> House Bolton Cutthroats with Great John, She Bears with Rick on and Asha, Shaggy Dog, uh, another unit of She Bears with a Mormont veteran, and then Stark Sworn Swords with a Mormont veteran. And then for NCUs, I've got Catelyn, Peter, and Arya. Okay, so that's the one you're bumping up to three. Yes. And, and it works very well to play that list at eight activations because of the opponents that that list plays into. That list is, is mainly designed to go into Free Folk. So I'd rather be at eight activations to start than seven activations against Free Folk. What I find works so well against free folk is the two units with the mormont veterans the, house, yeah. the she bears and the sworn swords those are like my they're like my anchors i mean they are my bulwark they are the units that i can put on a flank and know they are not going to crumble easily right they're going to take chariot charges they're going to take <laughs> they can stand up to you know multiple raider units with raid leaders they can they can handle thins they can handle uh, just about anything and, and stay and last, you know, even when I'm out activated. So I find that when I brought units that didn't have the Mormont veterans or different lists or even cavalry lists, I really struggled being out activated because the free folk players could maneuver around. They had more units, more activations. They get into my flanks. They could double, triple up on me, hit me with the there's too many. But when I'm running the Mormont veterans, what I found was these, you know, the death by a thousand cuts doesn't work so well when you've got auto blocks mm -hmm. as, as you're going down in ranks. And so, you know, the, the, the attacks on, you know, hitting on fours from raiders, it's not uncommon that they don't do any damage at all because the, the Mormont veteran and the hardened is blocking so many and the she bears and the sworn swords uh, have a four up save naturally Man. so yeah it works it works really well and then of course great john's cards also do a great job of helping you get damage when out when it's not your turn so his cards lash out and last stand lash out dealing two wounds to the defender for each of your destroyed ranks which by the way if you have a unit with a mormont veteran on its last rank if they attack you and do no damage you can still play lash out and deal four wounds back to them just for their trouble 
Just to um, spite them. Right. <laughs> and then uh, Last Stand. Last Stand is a great card, and it it's actually has a crazy interaction with Shaggy Dog. Because Shaggy Dog, when he dies in Melee, he can play Last Stand and attack back. And he actually counts as having all of his wounds gone. So Shaggy Dog, I've had Shaggy Dog attack with eight attacks that are sundering and vicious. Jeez. <laughs> and he just, just wastes a unit on his way out. And then, you know, probably the, the thing that's most special about this list for me is the House Bolton Cutthroats with Great John. He is my little mini missile, right? His unit never survives a game. <laughs> and, they're not, <laughs> and they're not meant to. Uh, I've tried him in a couple of different units. I've tried him in Sworn Swords. I've tried him in She Bears and in Karstark Loyalist. And no matter what unit you put him in, it just seems like they, they don't last the game. He's just so aggressive. He uses, you know, he does wounds to his own unit to get, to get his auto six charge. So when I finally, you know, came around to the idea that he's not going to live and it's okay, that's when I got the most out of Great John. Because then I said, okay, if he's not going to survive the game, what, what, how can I get the most out of him? I need to put him in the cheapest unit that's just an absolute aggressor, you know, has all the aggressive stats that you can get uh, for as cheap a price tag. And the answer to that for me was the House Bolton Cutthroats. For five points, you get a five move, hit on three, uh, great attack profile of seven, six, four. So even at their second rank, there's still six attacks. Uh, they only have a five up armor and a seven up morale, but they come with Vicious. And the ability that when you're attacking enemies who haven't activated this round, uh, you can reroll attack dice and the defender becomes vulnerable. And those are very, very key abilities for, un for kind of unlocking Great John's potential. Because when you combine that with something like an Aria token to maneuver five inches and get in position for a charge the next, you know, next round. So you maybe it's the end of round one. You can start measuring out some distance and you find, hey, if I use an Aria token and I maneuver up, I can start the round as the first player and I'm going to be 11 inches away from this key target unit. I'm going to do that. I'm going to use Aria and her token, one of her tokens aggressively. And that's actually what I did against Carlo. I, I used Aria's token, I maneuvered up five, and then I started the next round as the first player. And as that first player, my first action was to activate Great John's unit, to use his uh, order Reckless Heroism to get an auto six charge. And that auto six is important too. People forget that if you if you roll a one, it's not just that you lose your rerolls, but you can't play cards. Yeah. And you really want to play cards uh, when you're playing with Great John. So getting that auto six going 11 inches in and attacking, you're hitting them on threes with seven dice and vicious uh, with a reroll guaranteed uh, because of their ability. So you can go through hindering terrain, which normally takes away your charge reroll, but you still get it because you're getting a reroll from an ability. So then you're going in with your reroll guaranteed, you're dropping a vulnerable token. If you do your attack dice and you play Berserker Tactics, you can take, you know, three wounds to deal an additional four wounds. And you drop, <laughs> and you drop a panic token because yep. you are a, now a house umber unit because of Great John's attachment. Good so Lord. you've just done your own war cry by yourself because Cutthroats dropped the vulnerable, yep. the card drops the panic, and they've taken four wounds already. So you got eight wounds to go between your seven dice on threes rerolling, vulnerable token, and then your vicious panic test with a panic token. Jeez. So uh, Great John's unit one-shotted Carlo's um, cutthroats with Grey Worm. 
and they still got Oberon, you can, yeah. you, you can keep the party going. Yeah, you keep oh, the party no. going. So then Gage on over he did Overrun. He went into Jorah and he took out Jorah. Oh no. It was, it was a two for one. But but you know, going into like how I thought am I gonna how am I gonna beat Freefold? What in Freefolk am I scared of? What what hurts me as a Stark player from Freefolk? And the answer is Giants, Mag, and Chariots. Mm-hmm. And so I looked at which my, my commanders is going to give me the ability to take out yeah, Giants, yeah. Mag, and Chariots. And the answer is Great John. Yeah, this John. is the list that's scared of me. Yeah. Right. Oh, my God. So even a Chariot coming in and hitting me hard, well, I could turn around and hit Lash out. I could, I could turn around and use Last Stand. Um, I could charge Shaggy Dog in in a little tight window in his with his solo base get to a chariot and use berserker tactics put three wounds on shaggy and oh. deal four four wounds to the chariot and then you have two wounds left to go between shaggy's four attacks with sundering oh man it's it's great it, it this has all the tools to deal with what i thought was kind of the boogeyman you know the man yeah yeah and so what yeah. it also plays well into is starks <laughs> yeah, okay, that's what I wanted to ask you because yeah. I I don't know what it is about my brain, but I I oftentimes overlook the mirror match, and then it's you know until I got my raiders in my man's bubble fighting another man's in their man's bubble, and like nothing's happening. And I'm like, oh, you know, I really should be thinking of like, okay, how do I deal with the mirror match? So, what are you anticipating as the Stark opponent here? You know, what are the the threats you're worried about, and how is this list going to be? You know, uh, taking advantage of any weaknesses there. Oh, so exactly. So, so the things you got to worry about are the strengths that, you know, I just talked about, like right. you gotta, you gotta worry about, um, Mormont veterans. How are you going to get through hardened? You got to worry about Tully Cavaliers are, are a great example of like a unit that a lot of Stark players use and have good success with, but they're, they're a unit that I think if you know how you're, how you're playing with terrain, if you know when to put out tokens and if you have units like uh other units with more my veterans right like she bears and sworn swords i think you're seeing the the key here uh you know more my veterans are amazing and that's what's keeping you in the game but it's really it's coming down to the commander that's yeah with the tactics cards that are going to be able to to capitalize on those other weaknesses Exactly. So the Tully Cavaliers come in and boom, they hit you for a big chunk. Maybe they do two two ranks worth of damage on your, you know, your units with your Mormont veteran that you, you know, you cleverly deployed in front of the Tully Cav and kind of served up for, for dinner. But they take two wounds off, or two ranks off and then boom, you're going to hit them with a card like Lash Out. And then you're going to, you know, you're going to say thank you for improving my units. I now, you know, <laughs> I, I now hit on twos and, you know, I'm going to war cry on you and, and you're stuck in and I'm, you know, I, I'm right where I want to be. I think in the Stark matchup, you'd rather be the, you'd rather be the side with the infantry units and hardened than be the unit, than be the Stark side with cavalry units. Because if Starks do one thing well, it's, it's, taking a charge getting knocked down and getting better right and so so cavalry is kind of <laughs> helping the opponent do yeah. what they want to do and then great john's cards again um because they're they're auto wound cards they they help me as the stark player punch through the opponent stark players hardened abilities 
Makes sense. So, you know, uh, I actually, I've always wanted to play House Stark, but when I first got my starter set, my buddy Josh really wanted to go heavy into them. So I, I started with a little bit of Lannisters. I've still like slowly built up a collection, but I mostly play them in demo games. If myself or someone was looking to get started with House Stark and they wanted to jump in, would you say that the, the Mormont She-Bears are kind of like a must buy that you definitely want to have in your collection then? Because that Harden is just, you know, so versatile in in matching with the faction, you know, weakness. Definitely. Definitely. They are my, to every Stark player I talk to, they're my number one uh, recommendation right after, you know, get the hero box mm -hmm. uh, that you want, the one that has the heroes that you like, the commanders, you know, that you're a fan of. And and then for your first, you know, unit box purchase, get get She-Bears, get House Mormont She-Bears, because they come with the attachment they want that you want, and they come with the infantry unit that you really want. Because I think it's a six-point range for Starks. There's a lot of different ways you could go. There's, you know, there's Bowman, there's Berserkers, there's Tully Shields, there's oh gosh, I know I'm missing a couple because there's a few. There's Car Star Spearmen. But I think what the She Bears do is kind of what we talked about earlier, which is they they give you that war cry which really enables all your other units. If you think of that war cry as almost like a long range support ability mm. rather than just a, a personal unit buff, you can have she bears sitting on an objective somewhere with nobody to fight, but being able to war cry at long range and put a panicked and vulnerable token out for your totally cavaliers to go then charge that unit. You just can't beat it. It's, it's almost like being able to sling out sundering and vicious anywhere you want. Except it's not Sundering and Vicious, so you can still use your cards to give you Sundering or Vicious. Um, <laughs> That's... It, it's great. Um, and they, they just fulfill so many roles. They're, they're so versatile when it comes to how can I build a take-on-all-comers list. They're good against, against Freefalk because you've got mm -hmm. crit, crit Blow and you're going to be throwing a lot of dice and you might get some sixes and do a whole bunch of damage. Panicked and Vulnerable is good against anybody. It's good against people with bad armor it's good, good against people with good armor anytime you have insurance on your opponent's dice to say look nothing funny is going to happen today you might roll 10 sixes on your first roll but i'm going to make you roll it again you know that always seems to work out and and a lot of people because i run two units of she bears they tell me that the two war cries you you really start to feel yeah the, the press good, <laughs> yeah the token pressure right that like when you're looking down at your units and they're all covered in yellow and orange it's not a good feeling and and those are i think kind of the mind games that you can play with the she bears not to mention that there's some hidden mission cards in dark wings dark words and winds mm -hmm. of winter the mission cards to have two condition tokens on opponent's units. You can score two VPs from that card if you have two opponent units with two condition tokens on them. And with two units of She-Bears, um, I mean, you, you can really just pump out the tokens. And Starks still have access to Devastating Impact card, which puts out its own Panicked and Vulnerable token. I feel like the token play from the She-Bears combined with Hardened, which is, you know, guaranteed rolls on your armor save basically is how I look at it. Because if you're blocking three dice or three attacks at your last rank, and let's say you needed sixes to save, maybe maybe they had Sundering and they hit you in the flank. Well, it's almost like rolling three guaranteed sixes. Yeah, um, and that's like, as a free folk player going into that, that's always yeah. a nightmare. You're like, yeah, I hit, and how many do you block? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and there's you know there's even a few times where someone says you know okay I did I did two hits and I say well I'm I'm actually blocking two you know, at a minimum. So there's, there's no dice roll. 
Um, and it's oh. a great, great feeling for the start yeah. player. But those are probably the tools that you need to leverage how your units are designed, right? Hmm. They're designed to kind of be inefficient at full health, but more efficient than they normally would be for their points cost at their final rank. Was there any list that you paired off against that Gen Con that you were surprised by or felt like maybe exposed some weaknesses in your lists? Absolutely. <laughs> um, in particular, my one loss. So I played nine games and I, and I lost the one to last, you know, last year's champion, Brett Lamper. I think what he exposed for me in my Eddard list was that I was normally playing Eddard into Night's Watch because mm -hmm. I liked having the maneuverability. I liked having the cav units to be able to kind of go in and, and hit something hard. But what I noticed was against John Commander in particular, a knight unit may be able to go in and hit something hard, maybe do like, you know, eight wounds. But John, John and Eamon and Night's Watch in general have the ability to recover from that very well. The other problem I, I realized I had from that Eddard list was I didn't have the token play. I didn't mm -hmm. have the she-bears, right? It's almost so, like they're playing that same game back at you and they're... Right. And, yeah. and I didn't have, I guess what you'd call like insurance mm -hmm. on my charges. So if I just charge Tully Cavaliers in, I'm really kind of at the mercy of, of his dice. And uh, without, you know, I guess maybe I'm spoiled myself a little bit with the two war cries, but I'm so used to um, <laughs> having those rerolls that when I didn't have them against Night's Watch, it was very noticeable that the Starks don't really have a lot of tools, especially Eddard and his Honor Guard. If the only keyword they have is crit blow, you're really just fishing for sixes because mm -hmm. you don't have Sundering or Vicious and it's hard to put damage through. So if Eddard's unit's attacking, you know, Flademen in the front, Flademen have a three up save and without any sort of token play, they're probably just going to block 66% of the attacks that I make. I realized playing against Brett that what would be better uh, in that Night's Watch matchup would have actually been great, John. Because of all the things that we've talked about, about all the token play and the guarantees and the blocks from the Mormont veterans, specifically to Great John's cards. Had I been able to use cards like Lash Out and Last Stand and do damage on Brett's turn, I would have then been able to respond on my turn before he has a chance to heal. So before he can go aiming on the bags and, you know, heal up significant amount of wounds whatever damage i did to him on his turn i could probably finish the unit off on my turn and that was something i wasn't getting from the Eddard list that i think i could have gotten from the great john list have you talked to brett at all about maybe doing a, a game where you switch up the list yeah i think so uh i i I don't know if we're avoiding each other right now, because uh, to say that we've become friends uh, since Gen Con is an understatement. I talk to the guy every day. He's great. Um, and, and I think we, we realized that we're very similar people. Um, we had a lot in common. You know, we, we're both family guys. We both have kids. We both uh, played Warhammer Fantasy, and our, and our armies were, you know, lizardmen. That was our first love that ever got us, you know, into this game. <laughs> And we have a lot of just different things that we have found in common, like over the last couple of weeks. And man, I, I feel like I talked to him <laughs> so much lately. So I, I, I'm sure we will be playing some games in the future. And I'm sure he'll give me a chance to maybe see, you know, what if, yeah. uh, had I played a different list. But um, I, I tell you, 
I don't think the list alone would have would have done it because uh, he's a fantastic player. Uh, yeah. And I, I fully expected to see him uh, in the final because he was on the other side of the bracket. You know, if I made it that far, I thought surely he'd be there. I was shocked and a little pleasantly, uh, you know, <laughs> pleased <laughs> yeah. that he was knocked out before then. Uh, but no, that would have been... That would have been great to have gotten that rematch, but I, I, I'd be a fool to say that I feel confident <laughs> in the rematch. Well, and there are a lot of things that go into tournaments as well. And for mm -hmm. people that haven't played in a tournament, what are some of the non-game things that you have to deal with in a tournament? What a great what question. <laughs> like, <clears throat> let me tell you, Chase, because I actually think more than my lists, more than my preparation, my... My approach to tournaments is actually what gave me an advantage if I had one at all. So my buddy Brandon, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he was very much into this theory of like studying chess masters hmm. and what what are their habits? What do they do? You know, what what do they do on on tournament days? How do they? Because it's like a marathon. You know, how do they yeah. endure? How do they keep their mind sharp uh, when you have to play hours and hours and hours of a stressful you know mental game? And, and we studied and looked at some of those tips and tricks. And, you know, it's, it's pretty simple stuff. Get plenty of sleep. Drink water. Don't eat a large lunch because uh, you, your body has to take mental energy to process that food. Oh, um, so you're getting down to the, you get like your oh, moderate levels. What was that? There was like a study. I thought like, I don't know if it's actually real. So disclaimer here. It was like chess.com or something. It was that uh, like grandmasters spend like 6,000 calories a day while playing in a tournament or something. It's true. So you got you got the diet, the sleep, the hydration. Yes, and and specifically, so like for uh, lunch, I didn't eat. I didn't go out. I didn't get a big burger. I didn't get something heavy. You know, like you know, people say like during work they get a big lunch and they go to work and they're like, oh, I feel sleepy. You feel tired, and, and it's because yeah. your body is is devoting energy to processing that food. And so we we bought large bags of like almonds and pistachios. Oh man, you're really going. Yeah. yeah, I'm not even joking because when you think about it, we over 32 hours, we played, I played nine games of A Song of Ice and Fire and they were, you know, two hours each. So we're talking 18 hours. I think I, I messed up on the sleep part. I did not sleep well the night before the last day, but you know, nobody else did either. We. We got out late and then we went to dinner and we got out of dinner pretty late. So it was like a six hour sleep before turning right around and, you know, being back in the convention hall. But um, no, all, all that preparation, like that's real. And, and Carlo even was even talking about it, you know, that like it kind of felt like an endurance sport. And I tell you, I felt great. I felt sharp. I felt like I wasn't tired. And I actually felt like every game... I learned a little something more and I took that with me into the next game. And I mm. felt like I felt like I was getting sharper as others were getting almost duller. So you're kind, um, of like, kind of like a flow state in your games, maybe if we put it in like some terms like that. Yeah, I, I it feels it it's hard to describe. Like it, yeah. it really did feel like the things I did for my body enabled me to be in the right mental state to make very few mental errors. And mm -hmm. I tell you, Chase, at the high level of play, these people, these people are so good at this game. I mean, they are fantastic. And when you're playing people who are this good, it really comes down to not who makes the most right decisions. It comes down to who makes the most mistakes. Um, and oftentimes, 
it's just one or two mistakes that can cost you a game. Carlo mentioned in his game, he had swift reposition in his hand. That charge that I did with Great John to get into uh, Grey Worm's unit of cutthroats, he had the card and he could have he could have backed himself out of range. Um, oh. But it's just, it's that fatigue that starts to wear on you. You forget you have options. You forget to make plays. And I made a bad play against Brett. I, you know, I, I positioned Shaggy Dog by some stakes so the next turn he could attack it and kill the stakes. I didn't need to do that. I had a free maneuver before I even make an attack. I could have mm. been six inches further away from the stakes because I was so far up. He was able yep. to bounce his Ranger Hunters from a charge to a retreat. Retreated sideways towards Shaggy Dog, shifted two inches, was in the perfect range to do a short range shot and kill Shaggy. And that was just a mistake on my part. But it's those those little mistakes that at this high level of play cost you the game. So I feel like any advantage you can give yourself, taking care of yourself, you know, take vitamins, take, you know, bring yeah. ibuprofen with you. I bring people mm -hmm. laugh at me. I bring breath mints, ibuprofen, and deodorant to tournaments. Hey, because... And everyone would like to thank you. For... Yeah. <laughs> I tell them, I tell them, look, it's not for me. It's for you. <laughs> That's for generosity. You. That's amazing. <laughs> it's I, I don't want to shoot any things out there, but I've definitely been around to people that would I would appreciate if they took the diligence you did. <laughs> so. Thank you. Hey, I've done enough of these tournaments to know that, like, I come away with with a headache, bad breath, and stinky armpits, uh, and, and I, try to, I try to be better than that. And it's like, you know, uh, obviously you're a fan of the game, right? I, you can tell just by talking about it. Championship aside, you know, it's a game that you enjoy. It's clear that you enjoy thinking about it. You know, having won and now having a little bit of time go by, do you feel like, you know, winning a, a national championship for this game, do you feel like that's changed your relationship with the game in any way? Absolutely. Absolutely, it has. And, and I did not expect it to. I thought I'd come away from Gen Con after 18 months of, of painting an army and preparing for a large event, that I'd come away burnout. I would just want a break from the game. What I found was on my six hour drive home, I did nothing but talk about this game. <laughs> and, you know, ever since then, I think I think it has actually renewed my love for the game renewed my interest in being a part of the community not just a spectator not just a fly on the wall but but actively involved and and maybe it was the tournament and the results that has given me or, or made me feel like i have a platform mm -hmm. yeah it feels like now i i can share you know with more people how how much i love this game and people who have tried to get into this game over the last 18 months you know i've i've talked to him, I've showed him stuff and, and, you know, they have been, you know, moderately interested. They said, okay, yeah. Oh yeah. That's neat. That's your thing. After the results from Gen Con, I've had so many people reach out to me and say things like, so are Renly Baratheons any good? I'm thinking of ordering these high garden pikemen, you know, it's like, wait, where, where have you been? <laughs> you know, what, what has made the, you so interested in this game? And they, they went and watched the stream. They actually watched the game being played because they, they knew me, they knew someone, yeah. you know, on the screen playing. And now I have three or four friends who, you know, I, I did, you know, I had kind of given up on their interest in the game. Now they want to play. Now they want to be a part of it. And, and it's great. I'm not, you know, I'm never going to be a person who's going to say like, oh, I told you so. I'm, I'm thrilled <laughs> to death. I'm like, please, please come play. Because this game is only as fun as the people we have to play it with. Yes. 
And I think, you know, and kudos to you and Brett, and I think uh, even talking to you before the podcast a little bit, you are both examples of being a role model. And I'm really excited that you got kind of got like the Brett bug now, right? Where you win a, you win a national event, and now you're like, you, you, you got to keep going more. And I think that's so important. That's how the game grows. And so I'm really excited. The more people that get into the game, the more fun it is. Here's a question. So if you were, uh, you get some new people coming in, you're going to sit down to play some, you know, casual games, people are learning their game, you know, you're maybe not going to bust out your Gen Con list against their them for their first game. What might be a, a start commander you would play into somebody that you maybe feel isn't necessarily a, a super competitive commander, uh, but one that you just think is really fun that you don't maybe get to play enough of? So I actually just this week asked myself that very same question. And the commander I settled on was Rob. Rob Stark. Mm, okay. He's a he's a commander from the starter box. He's a commander that, you know, is a character from the show that people know and love. And he's he's got very I would say very player friendly cards. You hear that term negative play experience. I think playing against Rob is always a positive play experience because mm-hmm. he never really does anything that makes you say, Oh, I can't believe he could do that. Um, he just kind of, <laughs> you know, he has some some retreat right. cards right. that are, you know, He's not saying nope. <laughs> like I want to do this right. thing. No, you can't nope. do that. <laughs> like, you what? can't have fun. No, Rob. Rob lets you play with all your toys, and uh, I, I think he's he's great to demonstrate that game and to kind of handicap uh, myself. But I tell you, Chase, what I like to do with tabletop games. I I prefer to find two if if they're available two brand new players mm-hmm. uh, who are new to the game and let them play each other because it doesn't matter how much I or, or Brett or anybody who's played you know who's played this game for a long time doesn't matter how much you handicap yourself on the list there are just concepts about this game that you understand that that they don't positioning you know flank charges rear charges how ranged attacks work how to block charge angles and especially the tactics board i find that that's that's one thing that the new players kind of you know struggle to prioritize they they see these models over here with swords and arrows you know and they want to they want to go fight stuff but then it's like well hang on hang on the tactics board is actually this really really valuable resource you probably want to take for yourself and keep from your opponent but when you have two brand new people same sort of skill level that's that's the best. That's the best way to teach somebody, and that's how I like to teach. And you ask, you know, what do I see myself doing now that I won Gen Con? For a, for the last couple of weeks, I kind of felt like, wow, my goals were go play at Gen Con and take a fully painted Stark Army on a display board, and I did that. It kind of feels like, well, what am what am I going to chase now? What what goal am I going to put out in front of myself that's going to motivate me, you know, to to strive for excellence again? And for me, it's community building. Right now, like my whole mindset is switched over. I used to think, well, I'll never TO a tournament because then I can't play. Um, now I feel like, well, what's a local tournament? You know, to me, after coming away from Gen Con, I want to community build. I want to run tournaments. I want to put on campaigns. I want to I want to put on that hat and community build for a, for a while. And for myself, I never thought I'd play another faction other than Starks. And now that what I consider all of my Stark units that I play with on the table to be painted complete. I started to get that itch again for what's, what's the next project, you know, like people ask me what, what was my favorite tournament? And I tell them, you know, the next one. And and they ask, what's your favorite unit you've ever painted? And I say, well, it's the next one. Like it's always going to be a continuous, you know, 
striving for excellence and, and pushing myself. And I don't paint for competition. I don't paint uh, for, for praise. I paint because I get a vision in my head of what I think something should look like. And I just challenge myself, can I bring that into reality? Can I make this model look the way I imagine it? Man. Well, I'm excited to see where things go. Um, you know, kind of last thing here as we start to wrap things up. So I've always really enjoyed like sports that could be looked at as like individual sports, but they're nested within a team sport. So maybe kind of a giving example, like you have your gaming group and your group of friends that you play with. That's where you like hone your craft. Uh, but when you go out and you play in a tournament, you're, you're competing as an individual, right? But even though you're sort of standing on the shoulders of your training partners, is there anyone back home in your gaming group that you want to give a shout out to for helping you uh, sharpen your skills to your games? And are there like any like Sith apprentice in the wings that we need to be watching out for? Oh, man. So I, I guess, uh, so first I'll say my Rocket City Golden Company boys back home, uh, they, they obviously, uh, we, you know, our phrase is iron sharpens iron. And, and we uh, really, really kind of go hard and competitive against each other. And I think it takes a good group of people who, who have that same mindset, that same desire to play the game at that level um, and, and probably at that intensity and to not take, you know, wins or losses personally. Um, and when you have a group of people like that, you can really elevate your game very quickly because they're getting better as you're getting better. And so uh, my guys back home, Brandon McDowell, John Reinhardt, uh, Daniel Bayer is our friend. Well, those are your boys. Those are all the names I know. Oh man, yeah, all yeah. Right. you got a you got a crew there. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And and of course we want to grow. And uh, I you know I've I've talked to the guys. You know, hey boys, like we're gonna have to we might have to cool it down a little bit. You know, when we get new players in, we don't want to like we don't want to steamroll them. We don't want to scare them off. We want to we want to build them up. But you know that foundation is gonna take some time. And yeah, I'll give a shout out again to my you know the, you said the Sith waiting in the wings. Um, so my daughter's turned 11. And oh, uh, boy, you know, I, I have, you know, I'm realistic about it. I know for, <laughs> for young girls, this is not the most appealing thing in the world. Uh, but she has started to show interest. Mm -hmm. And uh, future oh she goodness. bear you got. Right oh, yeah. <laughs> It'd be well, great. Fantastic. We got to get like a kids tournament going or something, you know, like a teens, <laughs> a young teens. Man. Well, that's fantastic. And thank you so much for coming on here. And we look forward to your future community building and tournament hosting and future tournament play. We'll be watching that with great interest. Thanks. This is wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on, Chase. All right. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, we hope you enjoyed. And in the meantime, we hope you get your miniatures on the table. <laughs>